2: Glad you're with us. The final hour, the Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Jonathan Moulton and Jakob Swanson making the show happen for us. Dylan Taylor is here as well. Glad you're with us. If you're listening in Florence, in Knoxville, right here in Nashville on YouTube, on Twitter, wherever you may be following us. And if you download the podcast, we say thank you to each and every one of you. We start the power hour talking Titans football as they begin preparations officially tomorrow for the Seattle Seahawks in week two. Paul, you um, spoke with some of the assistant coaches who were made available today. What were the the big newsworthy comments from anyone? What do they have to say after Sunday's loss?
0: There wasn't a great deal to be honest with you. let's see uh ryan crow talked about harold landry you know and said that 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 plan for the preseason where um they didn't let him speed rush you know it didn't come out with necessarily you know moves x y and z and he wouldn't share what those were if if he did you know to to give away the repertoire but it was about building a rush plan um and they're continuing to, to build and evaluate. Harold Landry didn't do a bad job. No, someday. I thought he played thought well. He was, one, was of bright the, spot. One, of the, one of the few bright spots. I, I, I agree, and I think, um, you know, we can build on that with him. Um, you know, uh, Anthony Midget said, you know, any reps for um, crit, uh, for uh, Caleb Farley are, are good development. Um He sounds like a sixth-round pick when I hear that. That, That's unacceptable. I don't like it either. Terrell Williams said of the defensive line that Autry, and this was a little stunning, you know, Autry, Murchison, Tart are all going to play about the same snaps, and it's kind of how the game went, which makes it sound like that's an awful big expenditure on Autry if he's just one of the gang as opposed to the lead dog at that end position.
2: I don't know why you draft a guy with athletic – again, you draft a guy with athletic traits for the position –
0: early in the
2: draft because he's going to impact your team as a rookie and the, the comments like he doesn't he's still learning this game and if that's true okay i don't know why you draft him in the first round if, if that's the case if his athlete based on the what we were told when they drafted him if healthy this guy's athletic ability alone would cover up some of the learning process that comes with playing that position Put him on an island and let him cover someone with his athletic ability man-to-man. I don't get this hesitation to put him on the field. Even in, even in preseason work, he wasn't ready to play in the first preseason game. I mean, th- that's like a sixth or seventh round pick that they're discussing. It's not a first-round talent. I, th- I'm, I'm not buying this, oh, he hasn't played in two years, so he's just not ready. The guy's an athletic freak. Everybody agrees to that.
0: Put him out there and see what he can do. He was also asked about Janoris Jenkins, and I asked Mike Vrabel this yesterday about the slipping and the falling. I, I'm very anti-slipping and falling. I really am. I, Chad, you're laughing, and I know everybody is, but I, I have this. No,
1: I've seen it on Radio Row when the guy slipped and fell into our broadcast spot, and <laughs> yes. you damn near kicked the but guy if in you the ever, ribs. <laughs> if, you ever watch
0: a game, if you ever watch a game with me and a guy slips or falls, I speak to the TV and I say, do not slip. And I, I, I get this from Raymond Barry, the Hall of Fame wide receiver. I read a phenomenal, it was an excerpt of a book about Raymond Barry, where he and Johnny Unitas in the ice bowl went through pregame warm-ups. And Barry, very methodically, did the field at Yankee Stadium. It was Yankee Stadium, right? And there was a piece of Yankee Stadium that was in the sunlight. And there was a piece of Yankee Stadium that was not in the sunlight. And the fruit field was frozen, but some of it was melting. And Raymond Berry walked this field and, and made a very careful judgments about, okay, the sun's coming here and it's not coming there. And I, and I tested out shoes and decided, this is what I need to wear for that, because I cannot slip. And he made a determination before the game on how he was not going to slip because of the costliness of slips. And so when I say don't slip, I'm thinking of Raymond Berry, a Hall of Fame receiver, who had the foresight to plan not to slip in that game when other people slipped. And so I don't want Janoris Jenkins to slip twice and for them to say after the fact, yeah, he's got to figure out the footwear. (laughs) Figure out the footwear before uh, the game. It's It's, it's a pretty
1: detrimental quality to have as a cornerback to slip a lot i'm with you that it can't happen again to that level it was bad and
0: here's the thing i'll ask i I, i'm not I, i wouldn't hesitate to replace jenkins with farley when the time comes but do we think that's what they're going to do well if Fulton here's, plays like Fulton played in this first game, I mean at this
2: point they're going to put Chris Jackson in the lineup I, ahead of uh, Farley. I mean,
1: here is where we got to call it what it is, though. And, and Titans fans are so nervous about just saying this. I'm not ready to call Caleb Farley a bust. No, he's not a bust yet. Oh but no, he's a misevaluation. Yes, this is. You can say that. It's it's okay. You're not going to be hit by lightning and damned to hell. For saying that John Robson <laughs> misevaluated Caleb Farley. You know who else is a misevaluation, but not yet a bust? Dylan Raidens. Their first and second round pick. Two picks that were supposed to get this team to another level immediately. First round pick, immediate. It needs to be immediate. Deem needed yes. upgrades in certain areas. One was corner. They need that guy to start right away, they need that guy to be good right away. I'm not saying their career is over and they're a bust. That would be foolish. But it's also foolish to not say it is a clear misevaluation that we're still talking about this guy on special teams and not ready to play and not giving him a chance. And I'm sorry, Titans fans, to say what is obvious Dylan Radin's backup guard in week one Inactive. misevaluation. Inactive. I'd- Rashad Weaver, and I, again, I'm sorry. Rashad Weaver, not on the active roster. Misevaluation. You took a chance on a guy that later comes out that he may or may not have punched a woman in the street, and he's not active on game day in, in week one. When you take a guy and you're going to defend him that way, he damn well better be able to play. And if he's not even on the team on game day – Miss evaluation. Miss, 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 strike three.
0: I think if Let's Farley, get these guys ready to go. I think if Farley starts week five, I, I'm fine with it. Raiden's is, is ridiculous. To have spent a top two-round pick on a right tackle two years in a row and still not have a starting right tackle is ridiculous, is absolutely ridiculous. I, but I just don't here's, understand. Here's what
2: I need help understanding. If you're taking a rookie quarterback and you're saying, okay, he's going to start in October, I can see where he can develop within your offense and get a better sense and feel and grasp of the overall philosophy. What are they asking Caleb Farley to do other than cover the man in front of him?
0: Yeah, I don't know. And 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 Mike Debel said that right? himself. Cat, cat coverage, coverage. Cover that so, cat.
2: So he's going to learn how to cover yeah, I don't, in a month? I don't know.
0: And also, that makes isn't no this, sense. Th-
1: this is... Uh, we said this before, and I think people misinterpreted what we were saying, the thinking that we're saying, well, playing corner in the NFL is easy. And that's not what we're saying. It's very difficult, but it's a very specific skill set of athleticism where you go and cover a guy. You either have that or you don't, right? That, that's what we mean by it's easier to play early for the same reasons Mike Vrabel, head coach, said it is, Paul, because you either have that ability to go out and cover someone in cat coverage go get that cat, or you don't.
2: I a, that's a, what I don't understand. I had a buddy that watches the show every day, and he was like, you were you are very harsh on the Titans off of this week one loss compared to past performances early in a season and always wanting to gradually see things progress. They still have everything on the table in front of them. I am judging this team with extremely high expectations because that's, to their credit, they have put themselves in that atmosphere this was nowhere up to par from coaching on down and when the new additions they desperately need young fresh athleticism in the pass rush they've got bud dupree and and harold landry they need fresh legs that can run rashad weaver gives them that i don't want to hear about derek roberson being available over rashad weaver in week one roberson can be active Weaver should also be active. Find a way to get him on the field rushing the passer. That's number one. Number two is the, the first-round draft pick in Caleb Farley where the big question mark, the massive thing hanging over him was his back issue. And was it going to eventually deteriorate to a point where it was going to be detrimental in making that investment for him long-term for where they picked him in this draft and how crucial that pick was. boomer bust pick. For him not to play until it was 38-13 to 13 on defense, at least the last that, – that's when everyone noticed he was on the field.
0: I think it was. When
2: it didn't matter. He's on the field with scrubs at that point. That, that's what you're saying. Get out there and get some experience as a redshirt freshman. that That's not where the first-round rookie corner should be. When I'm watching J.C. Horn make plays, give up plays, but make plays for the Carolina Panthers. And – This guy was touted as being better than J.C. Horn if he was healthy. There are no excuses not to have him involved in this defense, period. Week one, week five, this is a red flag to me because this is not just – this guy doesn't know the, the offense. This guy doesn't know the playbook. Get out on an island and cover someone. That's what the best corners in this league do. That's what the legends do. They use their athleticism, and they go out and shut a man down. That's what this guy was drafted to do. And instead, he's watching from the sideline.
0: And you, you use the word legend. I, I think at left tackle, they've got a guy who thinks he's legendary, Right.
2: Uh, Until his knee is blown out and he's thinking about his knee more than he is the pass rusher. So
0: do you, uh, I wanted to ask you guys this, I thought of this this morning. If you're Vrabel, do you call him in today during his lift or tomorrow morning and say, hey, let's do a head check. Where are you mentally? Chad, you were big on where he is mentally yesterday uh, of the three of us, the biggest. Or do you just kind of... Proceed as normal, like <laughs> presuming I, that your that, guy is all right. That's a
2: complicated question. Pres- I, right? I, I you, get, you
0: get where I'm going. Do you presume Paul, he's normal? I hey, you're he... going to bounce back and we're going about our business with the game plan? Or do you call him in for a head check? I think you
1: presume it's normal <laughs> because his play is going to tell you if it's normal or if it's a problem. And
0: if you call him in for you're a head check, know, you might really open the I think you're going to know Pandora's pretty quickly
1: if, there, if there's a bad reaction to a bad play that leads to more bad play from him against Seattle. And him, you know, suddenly getting cramps and wanting to step out on the sideline, you're going to know if you're cramping in Seattle. The you film, got problems. the film, like like coaches fog, like to say, the, the fog cramps. The film doesn't lie. The film will tell you the truth on where he is mentally. I don't think you need to have that. I don't think Taylor one is some mentally weak guy either. But you got to have I that. think
0: he was on Sunday. Well, Buddha
2: Baker pancaked to, him in the game. Yeah, you don't have to have that conversation with him yet. This here's a clip I'm showing Paul. I, it's tempting. Uh, Buddha Baker puts. He puts Taylor Lewan on his butt on that the pass good. rush. Um, this guy here, here's why you can't, can't ask that question. That. that looks
1: like a guy who was playing on one leg. Here, I mean, here's why you can't. That here's why
2: us. you can't ask that question because you have to deal with the consequences if he says no, I'm not mentally all there. Like, it, 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 and that goes for any player. So what do you do as in that situation when you're star left tackle? And and let me let me reiterate. This guy is a star. He is one among the best just pure athletes on the field right now for this team when healthy. But watching him try to block the pass rusher on Sunday, it's clear he's not all the way back from that knee injury. How much time do you give him and what do you do if there are some lingering issues with all of that? They didn't play him in the preseason and we saw what happened week one. I'm with Chad. I I would see what happens in Seattle and then be prepared uh, if things go south for a scenario where you need an answer. I'm not sure if they have And your
0: answer is Ty Sambrello or Kendall Lamb who just got destroyed.
2: Well, your answer is the left tackle uh, that was a senior last year um, at North Dakota State. Yes. More coming. Outkick 360, Tennessee Power Hour. So what can the Titans actually fix in four days? And we see this year after year. Uh, outkick three sixty across the outkick. Now, where we see this year after year, where week one is not a great barometer for some teams at the end of the season, right? Like Jacksonville and Houston played. One team's going to be one and zero, and one fan base uh, is going to be very high on what happened. The other one's not. Um, we, we, I think we all are in agreement that n- neither team is going to be in playoff contention at the end of the season. Um, the Titans still have everything in front of them. It's overreaction Monday, Tuesday as we, we dissect what happened at Nissan Stadium. But a lot can be corrected in one week. We, we see that year after year where you have all offseason to prepare for one, one opponent. And then you have uh, four days to turn around and face the other opponent um, after week one. And that's where you see the drop off. The Titans, Paul, Chad, uh, we're, we're going to talk a lot about pass protection, Getting the run game going, that that's all fair. Uh, defensively, third down, uh, having a cage rush against Russell Wilson that was better than what they did against Kyler Murray, all fair. But to me, this starts, and I wrote down attitude and focus. That's what you can fix in four days because it was not there on either level. Attitude and focus was way off. The Cardinals, the Card- the Arizona Cardinals were the more physical team than the Tennessee Titans that pride themselves on being more physical, they got off the bus and were a more physical with, with a more physical mentality. They got off the bus in Tampa and set a better tone for a joint practice than they did for Week One against the Arizona Cardinals. They need to snap back into it. That's what they can actually fix. That isn't some X's and O's benefit during the week, Paul. And and I think you, you wrote on this a bit from an organizational standpoint at com, I'm looking at it from the locker room out. This approach and this focus needs to be dialed in, and they were far from it Sunday.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's good. I mean, uh, when Derek Henry, uh, who, you know, we're always compelled to mention, he's a soft-spoken dude, right? He's not going to be the centerpiece of the room in terms of the volume. But, he's a guy who rallied the team relatively early i think before the end of the first quarter and when we asked him about it when he was asked about it he said he saw lackadaisical guys standing around when i don't know it's striking that that guy is offering that assessment and trying to break them out of the funk and then it's striking that they're Mm non-responsive to that that that's the most striking thing all right people hit flat spots There are teams that come out flat at the beginning of the opener every year. It shouldn't be this team at this time. But then when you're you're running back, your 2,000-yard running back who trucks people and stiff-arms people and is highlight real guy is saying, I'm seeing lackadaisical and people standing around. Let's break out of this. And there's no – the EKG doesn't spike at at that point in time. That's very disconcerting. And so the things you're saying are, are dead on.
1: Well, and I just, it felt like the Titans were never the team pushing on Sunday. They were getting pushed around from start to finish. They never pushed back. I think pushing, and it, just the word push. Get a push. You, the pass protection is so bad that I don't know that you fixed that in four days from what I saw. But the thing that you can fix, this kind of goes back to attitude, energy, everything else, focus that you talked about, Hutton. Um, you can still get a push on the offensive line and get Derrick Henry more than what he got. And then for Derrick Henry, I think what's going to get the Titans out of this one-game funk more than anything, getting a slight push on that offensive line, going forward, not backwards. Mm -hmm. That's running the football and not passing the football, where they have the biggest issue. And Derrick Henry not going down at first contact, pushing the pile. That's what really gets this team going. We've seen that in this Derrick Henry era. That when they get rolling downhill, they're pushing the pile. They're getting a push up front. Derrick Henry's not going down at first contact. He's getting yards after contact. That's when this team gets the play-action game rolling, and things get easier and easier for Ryan Tannehill, for Taylor Lewan, for everyone on that offensive line. And then eventually it gets easier for Derrick Henry. To me, that's what's got to change is they got pushed on Sunday. They never seemingly pushed back. That's, that's got to be the opposite at the start of this game on the road.
2: Well, Chad, and that's why a few weeks ago I brought up – this is prior to Tannehill testing positive for COVID. Uh, I brought up that I wanted to see Henry get a couple carries in the preseason because I, I based it off of what you said after Monday Night Football in week one last year where you said the Derrick Henry we saw in 2020. This is the 2,000-yard season. Week one, the Derrick Henry we saw – and Chad phrased it right. In Denver. Pre, It was pre-Eddie George speech. Yep. Yep. You know, it was that mentality where it was very first contact, go down. BEG, before Eddie George. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the offensive line was not good that night either. It starts up front, but we see this progression of physical tali- uh, physicality and physical tone um, as we get through the month of September. And it's almost a rinse and repeat scenario uh, that we saw this past week in the run game. Derrick Henry has to be great. There are, it has to be based on how this offense functions. So I'm with him I, and Paul, you can follow up here. I would start in the run game because uh, the offensive line, how do you pass protect? You get the run game going. Well,
0: that's, that's where it starts. Look, you, you talked broadly first about attitude and focus. Yes. Chad took it to the slight push to gets the run game going from there. That's where the play action comes from. They ran 5% play action. Their first play action mm. play completely didn't work. And now, Mike Vrabel's answer to that is Chandler Jones, you know, causes a lot of disruption. Chandler Jones was there. You know, you don't anticipate Chandler Jones being there. Chandler Jones, you know, was going to be on one end or the other. So why is it such a surprise that Chandler Jones is, you know, it seems to me, I'm not a football X's and O's genius by any means. But if he's not on the other side, the side you're booting away from, where's he going to be? He's going to be where he was. So it seems to me it was a 50-50 chance that he was going to be there and you didn't have an out for it. Um, so that's concerning to me. I'm going to take a couple little things, or build yeah. bigger here, all right? And this one was pointed out by, by Blake Bettingfield in, in his scouting review of this for me. But uh, it, it, it struck me as big as I thought about it. Jeremy McNichols, who was very good in pass protection last year, on multiple occasions in this game could not find somebody to block. He stepped up out of his backfield role, and he looked, and he couldn't find somebody to block. And there were no lack of people to block in this game, right? Because the offensive line was having a hell of a time. So there were people. Why couldn't he find them? That seems to me like symbolic of the problem that the Titans had in this game, where not only could their offensive line, which is supposed to be a linchpin of the team, not block, but then the helpers in the blocking – couldn't even figure out who the offensive line was missing to go help and block them. All right. Then you need La. Lafon- I just ticked off a quick list here. You need LaJuan to be a hell of a lot more determined. You need Julio Jones to play a hell of a lot faster. This team looked slow on offense. This is supposed to be a very dangerous offense. Where was the speed? You need the wide receivers to separate. And this all ties into attitude and focus because the determination factor. You need, this has been a very popular thing on Twitter today, not to run a zero blitz that is paired with off coverage. Because in a zero blitz, the quarterback, if he does his job, is getting rid of the ball very fast. If he's getting rid of the ball very fast, he can't find a receiver who's got five yards of separation that you're granting him at the snap. He needs to be smothered. And he wasn't smothered. The, the, the capture, don't kill, needs to go far better against Russell Wilson than it went against Kyler Murray. You need to be unpredictable. You can't run Derrick Henry first play, three series in a row. Um, you got to stop somebody on third down, which, which was the theme of the entire offseason. We're going to be better on third down. We're going to be better on third down. Say, how do we believe that you're going to be better on third down? We're going to show you when it comes to mean something, and then you're 53% instead of 51%. I'm
2: with you. And the, the, the speed element of the offense, st- uh, in the passing game, it starts with pass protection because there, there was no time. It, to me, watching that, there was no time for the – it didn't matter didn't if the frequent, receivers were getting time. open. Tannehill was getting shellacked.
0: But also, I'll go back to this list, what I should have put on there. Where are the crossers. Because those quick crossers, a lot of the Titans' deepest well, passes are A.J. Brown catching it short and taking it long. And did we see those routes? I didn't notice them. Well,
2: here, so it goes back to another offseason topic and just tying everything in and what we've done on the show. Henry is not uh, strong out of the gate, not not fast out of the gate with the yards per carry. On Last year uh, in September, he averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Uh, they won in September. Where, by the way, they were unbeaten for the first five games. They won in September with Jonu Smith and Corey Davis. And Corey Davis had quite the performance for the Jets. Um, and He's a September kind of player. And one of his best routes is an in-breaking route. And Jonu Smith, we have not talked about his absence enough this off-season because in a year last year where you had offensive line woes and concerns and you had to slide protect – to both sides, and maybe you have to slide protect to both sides now again. They're a bit handcuffed with Anthony Furkser because if Anthony Furkser's lined up on one side, he's not doing much but getting a hand on someone. I mean, he's not Jeffrey Swain. Um, he, he's, he's, he's not that tied in. John, who did more than that, like he, he wasn't the best blocker, but he, did, he was very adequate in, in what he was doing. And he, he helped hide and disguise some of what you're doing in the run and pass game, where if Ferkser's on the field, I'm thinking pass, Yeah, too tight area. And,
0: and Ferkser, for what he is, if he's going to be targeted four times, if he's going to make three catches, you need more than 19 yards out of him. Yes. Yeah. He's got to pierce the defense with, with his threat. But you had a and dual, dual a threat with John He's a and he's a third zone target, third down target, and he didn't do much.
2: You had a dual threat advantage with John U., and again, I'm not comparing his receiving capabilities to his blocking because he was a much better receiver. But it wasn't to, it, it wasn't the drop off that you're seeing with Ferkser versus well, and, Swain and they opened right? it too
0: tight. And who were the two tights? Swain and Pruitt. Yeah, going heavy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: a great point. You know, offensively, you're affected the most by a lack of practice. And last night, Peyton and Eli were talking about this oh, on the podcast yeah. about Lamar Jackson and, and his how receivers. much he missed. That you could tell these are guys who miss practice. No big, no big deal, Chad. Obviously. And they talked about, you know, preseason games. We, we'd love to it's make the fun plan. of it. And the games don't mean anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's all the play. We get it. But I also think that no preseason games a year ago um, definitely changed the approach of coaches and players when it comes to it. But. There is a value to getting a few series. In. I don't
0: care about the games with your
1: guys. And, I don't and care and about practice.
0: the games. Uh, you, you. I think you care about the games more than I do. I'm well, worried Peyton about and the practice. We're talking about. I'm worried games about too. the practices because in San Francisco they did not play any starters, and and that's a, a philosophy that's working for Shanahan mm. or no McVeigh. Sorry they had no problems and that's a new quarterback on a new team and they didn't think about putting Stafford in for a snap but I guarantee you at practices for the Rams they're getting a lot of bleep done and you can do it that way in this league I understand Peyton and and Eli are older school than that and I hear what they're saying I retweeted somebody commenting about that and said CC Julio Jones and the Titans but in practice you've got to get it done and Vrabel said It was based on who was available. It was based on who was hurt. And it was based on the plan. The plan's the thing I had a problem with. The plan didn't call for them to do enough in the preseason. He kept poo-pooing us asking about it. And then look what he got.
2: Because he doesn't want to talk injuries. and He's clearly hurt. Yeah. His offense is clearly hurt. Left tackle, two two wide receivers. They're slow playing. They didn't slow play Julio Jones and watch his practice reps last week because they had to get him up to speed. Yeah, You know?
0: Also, I mean... Look, uh, injuries are mostly freak and fluke, but how are you that damn hurt when the Bucks, like we said, for those two practices, had every, everybody out there, the old Bucks.
2: Well, and they, they, meant they, they were also watching reps during camp, but the sure. dual practices they viewed they as – cranked it up for that. That was their preseason, right? That, that was their preseason performance. That, that You get the one-on-one work, and the Titans starters were on the sideline.
0: Watching uh, Des Fitzpatrick get his reps.
2: Yes. Uh, speaking of Julio, Paul, what did you make? Do you think it was calculated that Vrabel called out Julio for the 15-yard penalty? And we, we have the quote where Albert Breer pointed this out in his column where he says that, make no mistake, he's drawing, uh, the, the, drawing the unnecessary roughness flag. He said he's, there's no secret as to why he called him out. Uh, and the quote from Vrabel yesterday says, "That's absolutely nothing we coach or teach." So that would fall into the category of dumb bleep that hurts the team right there. In Albert, bold go letters. ahead and
0: write the word. What, what? What is your prudish sight? You can't write that word.
2: Maybe they don't let him, uh, or maybe that was was the word in the transcript. <laughs> yeah, the, I think oh, the was word.
0: It? I don't know if it was or it wasn't, but he knows what the word is.
2: Uh, and then he, Albert goes on to write, I don't think it's a mistake that Vrabel chose a prominent member, maybe the most prominent member of the team for the tongue lashing. It shows that no one is exempt after a loss like Sundays to the Cardinals.
0: Well, look, I, I think this is Vrabel being very consistent. When we asked questions about Julio Jones as he arrived and at the start of training camp, what did he say? He said, I told him the best players get held to the highest standard. And so this is him executing on that. This is his, Julio Jones is one of his best players, as far as we know. We mm-hmm. haven't seen it yet. Um, we saw, what we saw is a slow guy, dropped two catchable passes that's, that a star of his magnitude should catch, making a stupid play. Uh, a lot of people wanted to let Julio Jones off the hook based on what we saw on TV, which clearly wasn't the whole play. There was at least one more punch thrown. Vrabel made it clear here he's got no beef with Not Jerome punch, Boger. Not punch, but a
2: massive shove.
0: The Jerome Boger yeah, and his yeah, yeah. crew. He didn't have a beef with them. He had a beef with his player. And he made it clear, here, I said I was going to hold my best players to the highest standard of everybody. Here's me doing it. And uh, I cut and dried. It, Frable has no patience for stupid penalties. That's, that's somewhere where he doesn't, doesn't tiptoe around and doesn't, uh, you know. And, and, and they're he, trying ha- he to hadn't claw, hadn't claw back to into it right yet. there. He hadn't talked to the team yet either. So on some things, he said, what I'm about to tell the guys is, and so very frequently for Vrabel or even for Mike Malarkey, who was much more outspoken, he would tell us what he had told players because he was like, well, I don't care about telling you it. I've already. It's nothing they haven't heard from me already. Vrabel doesn't do that kind of thing. But here he didn't hesitate to tell us what he probably was about to tell Julio Jones or maybe had told him Sunday night after the game. Uh, and I have no problem with that. A lot of people are like, ooh, it sounds like he's got a problem with Julio Jones. No. I said he did not have a problem with Julio Jones. He has a problem with something Julio Jones did.
2: He a h- lot of hinges on that guy, too. He hates the sin, not the sinner. Yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. And saying. he should.
0: <laughs>
1: it's not, he's not out on Julio Jones. It's, your star player, especially, can't do something stupid that costs you 15 yards. Pretty simple.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to see the fire that Julio Jones showed uh, while committing the penalty uh, uh, while he's fighting for a 50-50 ball.
2: Agreed. Um, I, I, I do think he, Vrabel knew exactly what he was doing by calling out Julio there. But wasn't the question also about that specific penalty?
0: Yeah. Somebody, he was asked about Julio Jones' penalty. He didn't look for a spot to weave that in. He was answering a different question. He didn't start and
1: say, guys, I'd like to start by addressing Julio Jones' penalty and what I think about <laughs> also, it. Also, let, let, me,
0: let, me, let me say this. I also get this uh, fan thing. You know he should be worried about getting them ready for Seattle. Mike Vrabel is perfectly capable of answering sure. a question about Julio Jones penalty and getting the team ready for Seattle. It's Monday. That answer took him 20 seconds. It's a Monday afternoon for a 20-minute press conference <laughs> at which he takes questions. And the last thing we want is for him to, for us to say, Mike, what about Julio Jones's penalty? And him say, You know what? I'm going to focus purely on Seattle today. Uh, nonsense. Mike Vrabel's capable of giving that answer and preparing the team for Seattle. Intelligent people can do multiple things all in the same preparation week. He can handle it. Trust me.
2: I I can't wait to see their plan of running the football against Seattle um, because they're going to have to. They've got Daryl Taylor, Chad on one end, in Seattle rushing the passer. VFL. Um, They have on the other side Collier and... In between, Bobby Wagner, who had, like, 15 tackles against the Colts. I mean, he's everywhere. Um, Jamal Adams. Think of what Rashawn Evans
0: doesn't do. That's what Bobby Wagner does. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to think uh, of Bobby Wagner.
1: Rashawn Evans' pro football focus grade was really bad. I'm blanking on what exactly it was, but he may have been the worst on the defense. Really? I don't know how much you guys look into pro PFF grades. Just slightly. But it was. Evans was the worst? It was really bad. Paul can probably access it <laughs> and tell me. But I was looking at the The only thing on PFF that really jumps out to me is when something's just abysmal. Yeah. And I was looking at just the top performers, and there weren't many good performers for the Titans, but the worst. And I know he was close to the bottom.
2: The thing to remember about uh, Seattle is just, we we start to – dissect and, and go through game planning here. Seattle's defense starts from the back end forward, and that's a little backwards from how you think pass rush versus secondary. They have always built their secondary up to impact plays at the line of scrimmage. From and Chancellor at the second and level, Sherman. Yeah. And, and so, so now they've got Jamal Adams roaming and making plays, then second level Bobby Wagner, and then on the interior – uh, they have some guys roaming, but but again, they have speed off the edge as well. I, d- I don't think that they're, um, you know, a, a, a crazy tough defense um, when I watch them against Indy. But it's it's also, I mean, Indy ran 71 plays and averaged like four and a half yards per play. They did not do well. Um, but again, you take away what you can from week one. Uh, they did, Seattle did well enough to win 28-13. Uh, and that defense played very well. They sacked Carson Wentz three times and had seven or eight quarterback pressures in that game against Wentz.
0: I wish I could find who it was to give him credit. There's a, a Titans uh, fan slash writer who, who puts out he put out his Titans grades, Chad, <laughs> uh, like PFF. And he says they're from a proprietary uh, formula that's a deep, dark secret. Yes. Uh, But he he had him out. And Lawan was minus uh, (laughs) 555.55, which was the bottom of his rankings. And and then, then like, he had an addendum. He's like, uh, yeah, Rashawn Evans isn't mentioned. He's always in the minus 40s. It's pretty standard. But it's very funny. I objected to him scoring Questenberry too high. And he said, listen, it's a proprietary formula. I can't tell you anything about it. But he scored what he scored.
2: Coming up, guys, there is... The, there's one word, a part of Josh Heupel's offense at Tennessee, that is both good and bad about this offensive system. I'll explain at least my takeaways of watching the Pitt game. I want to get Paul and Chad's take on this as well as we move forward into SEC play for the Vols and what has to be dialed in a bit before they kick off against Florida. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. The good and the bad of Josh Heupel's offense at the University of Tennessee can describe can be described with the same word. We're going to get into that here. Uh, been a fun show as we wrap up the uh, the final hour. Outkick three hundred and sixty across the Outkick network. Thanks for joining us in Florence, Alabama, uh, down in the uh, Muscle Shoals area with Fox Sports Shoals, Fox Sports Knoxville as well, and across the Outkick network, which includes YouTube, Twitter. Facebook, and wherever you download your podcast, just search us out, OutKick 360. Guys, the same word, the good and the bad, based on what I've seen the first two weeks, and that word is tempo, because there is no slowed tempo to this offense, and there were portions of that game, albeit the the, the Vols did a really good job of staying in the game against Pitt, a, a, a better team, Chad, blows the barn doors off of the Vols as that game progressed in the first half because when things are going well and you're moving quickly and you're scoring at a certain pace, that's great. But those three and outs happen so fast. And there are times where you just need to pull the range. You need to choke down a bit and slow down the pace and run some clock, give your defense a chance to regroup and take a breath And to me, there's no aspect of that yet. I think we'll get to it. I think they have to find it, and they need healthy running backs. But even when the healthy running backs are in there, they're not trying to slow down. It's quick to the line. There needs to be some pace to this, and to me, it's just pedal to the metal. And that's, that's both good and bad based on where you are in the game.
1: Well, and they need to be, you know, when they get into some of these games that are going to be winnable coming up even in the SEC with some of the the teams in the middle or bottom of the conference, they need a lead in the fourth quarter to see how Mm -hmm. they can pace it where they're trying to actually run clock, which I know is something that they can do within this offense. But you're right, Hutton, in that this offense is great when it's highly functioning, but when they are going three and out, it's brutal. I mean, you're giving it right back to your defense, no time's off the clock. Uh, And it can be – the pace of play can be at your detriment also. Here's also where it can be a problem. Uh, 13 penalties for 134 yards. Um, I I get that. Look, this is game number two. So I'm I'm showing some patience here with Josh Heupel. These guys have not run this offense for a very long time. But five of those were pre-snap penalties uh, on offense. That's got to be cleaned up. That wasn't a big issue which impressed me against Bowling Green. But when things got tight, when the competition was better against Pitt, that suddenly became an issue. Holding became an issue. They've got to clean that up. It's one thing to play fast. It's another thing to play fast and clean. Tennessee only did one of those things this past week.
0: How did you feel the defense did coming in off of those three and outs in terms of holding up to the conditioning challenges and the quick turn? I I thought the defense did really well.
1: I know on the the stat sheet I think it ends up being – 397 to 374 in total yards. So almost 400 total yards. But really, those last 23 yards, there was a the difference was after the interception and that the last couple first downs at the end of the game when they were milking the clock for Pitt. I mean, the defense gave up some plays. You know, they, they did about what was expected against a really good quarterback and Kenny Pickett. But I thought just being in position and their effort to the ball and, and gang tackling and the way they, they went about that, I thought I was impressed with the defense because that was going to be the, the weak point. I
0: thought they started this team well coming too. in. I like the way they started, which showed me a, S- a, nice really plan. Well. They, a nice plan at the start. They
1: responded well a couple times. You know, they, they it's to 41-27. They go down and score to make it 41-34. Then they come back. The crowd gets charged up again. They get a three and out. They responded well to a turnover one time where there was a quick change a couple times yep. where they made a quick stop and forced a field goal, I think, on one of them. Uh, I thought defensively – Here's what I see defensively. They don't have many great players. There's a great story brewing in Theo Jackson, who's been by far the all-star of that team so far, which is amazing for a fifth or sixth year senior from Nashville. Uh, He's playing great. There's no real stars in that defense right now, but they know what they're doing. I think the biggest biggest gripe I would have with Jeremy Pruitt and his defense was there were far too many times where guys looked really confused. There were a couple times I saw that where – A linebacker is barking instructions at a corner as the ball is getting snapped, even when Pitt was playing fast. But for the most part, guys are getting lined up. It's simple. They know what they're doing on every play, and they're moving and reacting fast. That's all you can ask for, especially for a defense that's not going to be the most talented in the SEC. Play fast. Play with instinct. Go after the football. I think Tim Banks' defense did a good job of that on Saturday, even though they end up giving up 41 points.
2: There are times, though, Chad, just going back to tempo briefly, there are times where even if you're trailing by 7 to 10 points, and Tennessee was never truly out of it in, in Saturday's game, where if you just possess the football and and don't give it right back to the hot hand of, of Pitt and their very talented quarterback, right? Like, I'm, I'm thinking... Okay, just, just possess the ball here. For a while. Get a couple first downs or just run some time, and that can be a win. Don't give it back to them late in the, in the second quarter. Things like that that I don't know if the if the tempo of the offense allows them to have any patience.
0: Yeah, are you trying to be Loyola Marymount? Like well, there's where it's just constant, I mean, there, or are there, there times that you take your – He wants that to be I the face.
1: identity. I mean, the identity is snap the ball every 8 to 10 seconds. Get lined up and go, 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 go. So we're going to see something different every week with Josh Heupel's offense. This week we saw some very clearly designed plays they saw on film that worked. The pop pass for Mm -hmm. the touchdown, uh, designing things to get guys wide open. Things they did not show at all against Bowling Green for good reason. They didn't need to. Um, What they need to show this Saturday against Tennessee Tech is what you're talking about, Hutton. Work some clock in the second half get a four or five score lead and let's show the different pace where you can take your foot off the gas a little bit, run the ball, work clock late in the game and show that different pace. That's something we really haven't seen yet from this team.
2: Chad, you're going to be watching uh, a movie to honor Norm McDonald tonight. Dirty work. I'm going to be watching it. I urge everyone else to do the same. Very underrated. I, I
1: call it a comedic classic 1998. Well, Chris I'll Farley has a cameo that. in it. Artie Lang
2: is in it. It is a It is a funny movie. movie. It's very
0: funny. I've not seen it. I may give it some consideration. We'll see.
2: It's about to... uh, I bet we'll see it some on the the HBOs and Cinemax rotation.
1: It's on on HBO Max right now. Okay. Uh, If you've got... You said it's on every streaming network. HBO Max. It's on HBO Max, Hulu, and Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, right. Paul, unfortunately for my bottom line, everyone else's, that's not every streaming service. That's only three of them. There's a lot more. And I'm paying for all of them. Those are three of the biggies. Three of the big ones, yes.
2: Paul, give a shout out to your guy who has the grading system that you like so much that we couldn't remember his name.
0: Rob on Broadway. Uh, Robert I, I, Greenlaw. Yeah, I gave him a, I gave him an uh, apologetic.
2: Christian uh, Fulton was his highest graded player. He also
0: said, sorry Paul, these ratings are extremely precise, but more importantly <laughs> they're proprietary and therefore infallible. So he's a big fan of PFF is what I'm gathering.
2: On the way out, uh, RIP to Paris Harrelson, uh, the, the VFL who passed away at the age of 37. falls pass rusher. Sixth round pick, I believe, for the San Francisco 49ers and played in the league for a couple of years, but um, sad to see that he passed away at the age of 37. We are back at it tomorrow. A full look at the weekend slate of football. We hope you'll join us right here across the Outkick Network for Outkick 360.
0: Live it. Love it. Obey it. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks.